Thanks again, Brother Greg, ladies and congregation. I love to sing, but I love to preach. And I'm excited about sharing God's Word with you tonight. Psalm 116. Psalm 116. We are in a series of psalms that are instructing us on how to worship, how to improve our worship. Tonight, I want to be preaching on the subject, the longing to worship God. Do you have a longing in your heart to worship our God? I'd say you better check up if you don't. I'm glad there's a longing in my heart to worship our God. Psalm 116, I'd like to read this psalm in its entirety, and we'll look at this text together. You found your place and you're able. I invite you to stand. And let's honor and reverence the reading of God's holy and Aaron infallible, inspired word. The reading will bless you. The psalmist says, I love the Lord because he hath heard my voice and my supplications, because he hath inclined his ear unto me. Therefore will I call upon him as long as I live. The sorrows of death compassed me. The pains of hell got hold upon me. I found trouble and sorrow. Then called I upon the name of the Lord. O Lord, I beseech thee, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Yea, our God is merciful. The Lord preserveth the simple. I was brought low, and he helped me. Return unto thy rest, O my soul, for the Lord hath dealt bountifully with me. For thou hast delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, and my feet from falling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed, therefore have I spoken. I was greatly afflicted. I said in my haste, all men are liars. What shall I render unto the Lord for all of his benefits towards me? I will take the cup of salvation. I will call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows unto the Lord. Now in the presence of all of his people, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O oh Lord, truly, I am thy servant. I am thy servant and the son of the handmaid, of thine handmaid. Thou hast loosed my bonds. I will offer to thee the sacrifice of thanksgiving. I will call upon the name of the Lord. I'll pay my vows unto the Lord now in the presence of all of his people. In the courts of the Lord's house, in the midst of thee, O Jerusalem, praise ye the Lord. You may be seated and we'll trust the Lord to add his blessing to the reading of his holy word. And I'm telling you what, just reading that text make you shout. That's some good stuff. A longing to worship God. Yeah, we're not sure who the author is, nor the time period of the psalm, but most scholars feel that it was written in post-exile, after the Jews returned home from the Babylonian captivity. We do not know who he is, but we do know that the psalm is a very personal psalm written by a man who has been delivered from certain death and enabled him to have a prolonged life for service unto God. Here was a man who is eternally, I'm saying eternally grateful for the Lord's salvation and the Lord's deliverance from certain death. So what did he do? Because of that, he made certain declarations. 
He made pledges. He made vows unto the Lord to express his gratitude for the Lord's givenness towards him. Let me say something about that. Gratitude for the Lord's goodness and grace is a strong motivator to worship God. Any, anyone else here have a similar story? Who, who here has been spared from death? I, I'd kind of like to. Yeah, Rusty. Woo! That's a quick amen. I'm looking around here. Most of us are at the age. We've got a similar story. We, we, we should have been pushing up daisies. But God. And so I think I'm in good company when I say, who here has not been spared from death? I mean, who should not have been buried a long time ago? But God has heard your prayers and has brought deliverance unto you. Well, if God's done that, did not God's deliverance in your life cause you and your love to grow for Him in exceeding manner. It sure did for the psalmist. Are you not eternally grateful for his goodness to hear you and to help you in your hours of need? Well, the psalmist sure was. I got another question. In those dire straits, did you not too make pledges and vows to God to hear you and to help you? The psalmist did. There's nothing wrong with that. As we've learned through weeks in past, just fulfill what you promise. Just honor those vows and pledges to the Lord. I think there are several reasons listed in this text that motivated the psalmist to worship God and all those same reasons why you and I should be conscious and faithful worshipers of the living God. And I'm eager. This series has helped me and it's helping me I'm eager to look at these together. I pray that you are as well. But verses 1 and 2 tonight express the psalmist's longing to worship. And his longing to worship is seen in his declaration. In verse 1 and 2, he says, I love the Lord because he hath heard my voice and my supplications. Because he hath inclined his ear unto me. Therefore will I call upon him as long as I live. You see the declaration. Again, that declaration shows his longing for worship. First of all, in this declaration, he pledges his affection. His affection. Loud and proud, he says, I love the Lord. I wonder, can you say that? Are you ashamed? Would you say it only in private and not in public? Would you walk into the workplace on Monday and say, Guys, I just want you to know I love the Lord. Would you go into the schoolhouse? Would you go into your extracurricular activity and meet with your friends and say, I want you to understand something. You need to know something about me. I love the Lord. If you're looking at your shoes tonight, I'm concerned. You don't have a smile on your face. I'm concerned. The psalmist said, I want the world to know 
My affection is set upon the living God. I love the Lord. If you ask me, that's a great way to start a psalm. That's a great way to start a song. That's a great way to start a prayer. That's the perfect way to start a brand new day. It's not just a good starting place, but a public declaration of our love and affection for God is evidence that someone who has experienced the deliverance and the salvation of God See, those who will not publicly express their affection for God is those who don't know of God's deliverance. They really don't know firsthand of God's salvation. Let me tell you, I, I, this sermon's going to be long, but I'm just starting to get excited. I want to tell you something when you were sinking in a deep, horrible pit. And God inclined his ear unto you. You are sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore. But God heard you, extended his hand of grace. He lifted you up out of a deep, horrible pit. He set your feet upon a solid rock. He established your goings and put a new song in your mouth. You'll have no problem of walking in any congregation or any gathering and saying, I love the Lord. I feel better now. That wasn't in my notes. Isn't his. I want you to understand. A public, a public declaration proves that someone has experienced the deliverance and the salvation of the living God. The psalmist said, I love the Lord because he has heard me. He has helped me. He has inclined his ear into me. Who are we? That God would show attention to. That God would actually incline his ear to and to hear us and to help us. A man or a woman who publicly declares their love for the Lord is a man or a woman who has experienced love from God first. That, my friends, that will prepare your heart for worship. Maybe that's what we need to do. Somebody paint that on that wall coming in here. We need to declare, I love the Lord. Boy, we'd all declare that it'd help our worship. The Bible teaches us he pledged his affection, but then he pledged his allegiance. He said, I will call upon the Lord as long as I live. It was kind of funny in a amusing moment in the study when I started going through this reading over and over and over again. And I thought about verse 1 and 2 because they, they're just so wonderful together. I he heard me. He helped me. I, I love the Lord. And he said, I'll call on him all the days of my life. And I thought, well, why would you not? If you know a God who will hear you and will help you in your time of trouble and sorrow, why would you not call upon him all the days of his life? Why would you not pledge your allegiance unto the living God who hears? I can assure you for all of your life, as long as you live, no matter how long that is, you're going to need him. You don't need some dumb idol. You don't need some dead idol. You don't need some blind idol. You don't need some worthless, helpless idol. You need the living God of Psalm 115 who can hear, who can see, who can speak, who can handle, and all of our problems are under his feet. So why would you not pledge? Your allegiance to him 
who hears and who helps us. Now put it all together. Our affection and our allegiance to the living God is what creates a longing in our hearts to worship Him. To worship Him. Have you done this? If not, you're taking notes, right? This is on your top to-do list. This is what you're coming to the altar for tonight. God, help my affection to be set on you. Help me publicly declare that I, I love the Lord. God, help me to be a legion to you and no other because no one can take care of me like God does. So that's number one. Number two, his longing to worship God is seen in his deliverance. This is kind of a lengthy passage, but the preaching's not lengthy. You say, yeah, all right. Verse 3 says, you read it with me, The sorrows of death compassed me. The pains of hell got hold upon me. I found trouble and sorrow. Well, his longing to worship is seen in his deliverance. At first, we've got to look at his plight because he gives it to us in verse 3. His plight was that he found trouble and sorrow. <laughs> Who among us has not been there? You know what I've learned? There are times that I find trouble and sorrow, and there are times that trouble and sorrow finds me. I wasn't looking. It just kind of showed up. But the psalmist's trouble was imminent death. Imminent death was looming. It surrounded him. The pains of Sheol or the pains of death constricted him. Have you been there? How many of you were here once on their deathbed? Boy, it'd be nice, really. I wished we had no time constraints. I just wished other folks enjoyed this time like I do. I'd, I'd just camp out and say, I want, I want to hear your story. I want to hear your story. Man, you were, should have been gone. The doctor said, he's not going to make it. She's not going to make it. You know our family's story. You, you know Rusty's story. I'm convinced there's more here. There's more here that even though you didn't have a doctor's diagnosis, in your spirit you thought, Lord, if God don't intervene, this will take me out. Have you been there? The psalmist was. The psalmist said, death has compassed about me. Hell, the word there actually is sheol, death has constricted me. He was going to die. How many were in a place where you felt at one time or another that death was looming? Death was inevitable or maybe even certain or, or that trouble and sorrow had you at a place where you felt like death was not far away. There's all kinds of scenarios and situations. But you talk about troubling. You talk about anxiety. You talk about stress. When you're facing, you're facing the trouble and the anxiety that is associated with looming death. That was his plight. But verses 4 and following gives us his prayer. He said, Then I called upon the name of the Lord. O Lord, I beseech thee, I, I beg thee, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Yea, our God is merciful. The Lord preserved the simple, and I was brought low, and he helped me. Return unto thy rest, O my soul, for the Lord hath dealt bountifully with thee. 
we have his prayer. He asks simply God to deliver his soul. Well, let me ask you something. Who in the world's in the place that they feel like they're going to die at wouldn't pray? I mean, who is in their right mind in a place where death has come past about them and seems like it's inevitable and it's looming? Who wouldn't call unto the Lord? So what do you do in times like that? Well, the psalmist, he called upon the name of the Lord. There is no other name. I'm in trouble. Sorrow is looming. I'm facing death. Don't give me Muhammad. Don't mention the name of Buddha. I'm not interested in Krishna or any other avatar of the Hindu gods. And they're more than you got fingers and toes and all of us together. Not interested. Why? Dead. Worthless. I'm going to call upon the name that is above every name. I'm going to call upon the name who is the author of life and death. My life is in his hand. He said, I called upon the name of the Lord. And in doing so, listen to this. He asked God to deliver his soul. And in doing so, he found the Lord to be gracious. He found the Lord to be righteous and full of mercy. The psalmist said, he spared me. I I couldn't have been any lower. I read that with you. He said, I was brought low. The ideal in the text is I couldn't get any lower. I had nothing to offer. What does that mean? He couldn't help himself. If God didn't, he was done. He said, I, I had nothing to offer, and yet he helped me. And so will he you and I as we trust in him. See, the destiny of a man's soul or a woman's soul is in the hands of the living God, our creator. And in death, the soul that trusts in the living God will spend eternity with him. But the soul that rejects God will spend eternity forever separated from God in a place called hell of eternal torment. A soul that's been delivered, a soul who has experienced the salvation of God, is a soul that openly declares his love and his loyalty unto God. And that, my friend, is a soul that's ready to worship the living God. I'm not mean. I'm not calloused. I'm just tired of cheap imitations. I'm not mean. I'm not calloused. I'm just tired of playing church. I'm not mean. I'm not calloused. I'm just tired. I'm just tired of cheap Christianity. A soul that has experienced the salvation and the deliverance of God will have no problem expressing their affection and their allegiance unto the living God. And that is a soul that can worship Him in spirit and in truth. God help me to get my ducks in order. God help me to get my life lined up with the instructions of your holy word. Because I said in the beginning of this series, there's nothing more important in the life of the believer. There is no higher order of saved man than to worship his God. So God help us. We see his plight. We see his prayer. But now we see his plan. Verse 7, it says, Return unto thy rest, O my soul, for the Lord hath dealt bountifully with thee. For thou hast delivered my soul from death, mine eyes from tears, my feet from falling. And I'll walk before the Lord in the land of the living. So here's his plan. I've been torn all to pieces. I've faced death, the sorrow, the trouble, full of anxiety, but I called on the Lord. 
He helped me. He heard my prayer. He delivered me. So what are you going to do? The psalmist said, I'm going to rest. Boy, if you've had a time like that, you need a little rest. Does anybody else know what I'm talking about? Boy, we can get all beside ourselves when life goes awry. But God heard us. God helped us. Y'all sitting here are living proof of that. Now, y'all made it through the teen years. That's the grace of God. Rusty and I had a TBC meeting the other day, and people would go around sharing. This guy said he had so many different teenagers in his home. He said, just pray to God we make it alive. I said, who, them or us? Don't you tell me you shouldn't have centered a tree when you was driving like an idiot at 16? Don't you tell me when you dabbled in the things of the world, walking the trips of Foolsville, don't you tell me that God didn't make it real clear that by His grace you're still breathing air? Anxiety, stress, trouble. There's been times that you went through some things that you should not be here. But God, those are stressful. Times of great anxiety, trouble, and sorrow. After a period like that, you need a little rest. Here's the plan. I will rest in the Lord. I got a question to ask my people. Isn't there such a sweet rest in the Lord's labor? <laughs> when what the Lord does, there is such a peace, a peace the world knows nothing of that comes from having God hear you and help you. I love it. Man, I love it. The world can't help me. But meet in your prayer closet with a holy God and know that the windows of heaven have been opened and the voice of God has calmed your soul. Man, there's a peace this world knows nothing of. There's a calm assurance that comes from God's mighty deliverance. My rest is in Christ's work on Calvary's cross. He has rescued my soul. He has dried my tears. He has kept my feet from falling. And I rest in the fact that I'm saved, I'm secure in Christ, and my eternity is sure. Now that's some rest. <laughs> That'll help you lay down your head at night. Then he has not only a rest in the Lord, and I pray that you can get that, but he also has a resolve in the Lord, and I pray you'll make that. He said, I'll walk before the Lord in the land of the living. Now there's two different thoughts here. There are two different thoughts. One, and I think both are true, by the way, so if you're taking notes, write them both down. They're both true. The first is why you live life down here is a rescue, ransom, delivered believer. Just good common sense. Walk with the Lord. Walk with the Lord. What, what, are, you, what are you trying to say? Let, let me say it this way. If God is good enough and gracious enough to deliver you from death and hell, if God is faithful to hear and answer your prayers, surely those who experience such will live obedient before the living God as long as they live. How could you not? So, let me say it this way. Those who say they're saved and don't walk with God, I'm not sure they've ever experienced the salvation of God. I just like looking at you because you look at me very strange. I'm not saying that you don't have times of falter and failure. You can't read the Bible and not know that. But I'm just saying you're not going to say you're saved and not walk with God. 
Like I said, there's times you stray. There's times that you fail and falter. But the overall pattern in your life is you're walking with him. Why? How could you not? When someone snatched you from the jaws of death and eternal hell, who hears your prayers and delivers you time and time again, it's just common sense. Make that resolve. I'm going to love the Lord and I'm going to walk with him. Why? Who better to walk with? That bunch turned around on Jesus and left. They followed him because he fed them. They followed him because he entertained them with miracles. And he began to preach doctrine and they left. He looked at his disciples and said, will you leave me too? And I love Peter. Man, he had a grand slam. He said, well, where will we go? You've got the words of eternal life. So let me say it again. Common sense. If God saved you, if God's delivered you, Make a resolve. Walk with him. That's what he said he would do as long as he lived. By the way, our obedience testifies to our gratitude. I want to be grateful. The second thought of the land of the living also refers to eternal life. Life in the land of endless day. Because of God's deliverance and salvation, the psalmist said, I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living, in the land of cloudless day, in the land where there is no more graves, no more cemeteries, no more funerals, no more danger, no more death. So if you're saved and you experience God's deliverance, both are true. I'm going to walk with him down here. Maybe because of a trumpet sound. I'll be like Enoch. Where God said, we've walked together for so long, you're just closer to my house than you are yours. Let's just go on home. <laughs> Some of y'all flipping in your Bible. What, what is he talking about? What's he talking about? Read it. It's good stuff. You got a preview of the rapture in the Old Testament. I might be layered, lowered in an in a earthly grave. Don't matter. Six feet under, I'm going to hear it. That trumpet will blast. There'll be a shout from heaven and awake the dead. And I'm going to walk in the land of the living, in a land of cloudless day, in a land where there is no more death nor danger. I like that. Make a resolve that I'm going to walk with the Lord here and hereafter. Why? Because of God's amazing grace. And then fourth, there's the proof. Verse 10 and 11, he says, I, I believed, underline that, put that in parentheses, highlight it. I believed, therefore, in light of that, I have spoken. I was greatly afflicted. I said in my haste, all men are liars. What shall I render unto the Lord for all of his benefits towards me? Here's some proof. He speaks a word about deliverance first. He said, in his suffering, and his affliction, the psalmist simply said, I believed. That's it. What? In that, high, in that time of dire straits, he cried out unto the Lord. He said, I believed. He believed what? That he'd live. That he'd live. He believed God he'd live. There are times, there are times when God gives you a peace. And you know. Just to talk about Brother Rusty for a moment, because he's a living example. 
those first few times we met and prayed for him with COVID. He called me one night when we was getting ready to pray. His voice was shaking. He said, brother, I know you're getting ready to pray. But I can't breathe. I could hear him struggling. And he said, the doctor come in and said, I have to go on a ventilator. And he told me that they don't know people coming off the ventilator with this bad of lungs that goes on the ventilator. He said, brother, pray. He said, but it's all right. Because I'm going to praise him either way. And God's going to get the glory. That's what he told me. I couldn't pray much that night. I cried. I cried. And as several nights went by, I just cried and prayed. Somewhere along the line, I don't know exactly when, Rusty, but somewhere along the line I was praying. I said, God, I don't want to do his funeral. He's a friend and a faithful co-laborer. God, you're able. I just felt him a heart of peace. Changed my attitude of prayer. I think I could say what the psalmist did. I, I believed. Are you a prophet? Not on your life. Last and final prophet was Jesus. But God just put a peace in me. I just believed he was going to make it. I believe he's going to live. Does he always do that? No. But see, Rusty had a better perception of the text, like the psalmist did. See, Rusty believed, I'm going to live. Don't matter if it's here or there, I'm going to live. I'm going to walk before the Lord. It's like Job said. Even though the skin worms destroy my body, in my flesh I shall see God. For I know that my Redeemer liveth, and in the last day I'll see Him. And so in all of that, the psalmist said, I believed. Therefore, I, I spoke. I shared of my afflictions. I trusted the Lord, and I believed. That's it. My life is in His hand. My destiny is in His hand. And that is the key word of this text. I believed. And that belief is the pivot on which the new life can be enjoyed and this old and present life can be endured. So no matter what comes to me, it's all right. Because I believe. I believe in Him. Why? Because no matter what this life owns, I've got a greater and a more grander life Amen. to come because I believed. So he had a word about deliverance. Then he has a word about deception. He, he says this word, all men are liars. Well, the psalmist admits he said this in haste. Don't tell me your tongue's never got ahead of your brain. He said, I said it in haste, but at the end of the day, truth is truth. Are you offended? No, because it's still true. See, he admits there was a time in his life where he trusted human wisdom over the wisdom of God. And you have been disappointed and deceived every time you've done that. The psalmist is not alone. He said, I was in a tough time. Death was looming. I was in trouble. And all men are liars. What's he mean? He said, there's a time in my life I consulted them instead of consulted God. There's a time in my life 
When I look to man's wisdom instead of God's wisdom, and I come up with truth, there is no truth outside of God. The best of man's ability, there's still deception and disappointment. But in God, He never fails. His word is absolute truth. So He gives us these words, and that's the proof, that is the proof of His longing to worship God. I just say, praise the Lord, he saw the light before it was too late. Have you? Is your trust in man or is your trust in God? Finally tonight, we go home with the last thought. His longing to worship is seen in his devotion. Look at verse 12 again. He said, what shall I render unto the Lord for all of his benefits towards me? I'll take the cup of salvation, call upon the name of the Lord. I'll pay my vows unto the Lord now in his presence of all of his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O Lord, truly I am thy servant. I am thy servant and the son of thine handmaid. Thou hast loosed my bonds. I will offer to thee the sacrifice of thanksgiving. I will call upon the name of the Lord. Here it is again. I will pay my vows unto the Lord now in the presence of all of his people. And in the courts of the Lord's house, in the midst of thee, O Jerusalem, praise ye the Lord. And so his longing to worship the Lord had seen his devotion, that he would, number one, show the Lord his gratitude. I think that's very important. How did he do that? By paying his vows. I mean, have you ever stopped to consider how much do you owe God for his benefits towards you? Wow. We sing that song, count thy blessings, name them one by one. Who can do that? I would be exhausted to the end of a mundane day. God is mighty, mighty good to me. I still get choked up when the choir sings that song. I owe him everything. Oh, we say it, but have you thought about it? I would encourage you to consider it, think on it, ponder it. How much do you owe God for his benefits towards you? The psalmist thought about it. I think you should think about it. Why? Because it prompted the psalmist to repay his vows. You'll forget God. You'll neglect God unless you think of his gracious benefits towards you. He said, I'll take his cup. What is that? The will of God for his life, whatever that is for yours. He said, when I was facing certain death, he called upon the Lord. He promised to walk with the Lord if he delivered him. And he was not only saved, but now he was a surrendered. And that's where you need to be. Probably in a Wednesday night crowd, most would raise their hand that I'm saved. But I would ask you, are you surrendered? Is your life surrendered to the will of God? Do you know the will of God for your life? Are you doing it? Why not? As good as he's been to you, why would you neglect him? Every day, my prayer for my family is God help them to discover the will of God for their life and do it. There's a lot of people sitting right here. I'm going to go out on a limb. There's a lot of people sitting right here. You know exactly what God's called you to do. You know what he wants you to do. You know how he's gifted you. You know what he's made wide available for you. Why aren't you doing it? I'll tell you why you're not doing it. You've not stopped and considered what you owe God. For all of his benefits towards you. But when you ponder. When you think on his gracious benefits towards you. You can't help. You cannot help but fulfill your vows. He said he would serve the Lord with gratitude. Verse 15 and 16 as I read to you says. Precious in the sight of the Lord are the death of his saints. O oh Lord, truly I am a servant. 
I am thy servant and the son of thine handmaid. Thou hast loosed my bonds. The son of thy handmaid. He said, I'm not only a servant of the Lord, but I was brought up in a house that taught me to serve God. Well, it's nice to have Christian parents, isn't it? Nice to have a godly example. He said, so I'm your servant. See, the psalmist knew that the Lord intensely cares about the death of his children, the death of saints. He knows that if death comes, doesn't matter. He'll be with the Lord. He'll walk before him in the land of the living. But since he has spared his life, since he has heard his prayer, since he has extended his years, the psalmist owed God his life and pledged to serve him. It was not only his duty, because he was raised that way. Was anybody else raised that way? I didn't have a choice but serve God as a kid in the Ferguson house. My daddy drove a van for 100 years. Van routes. We had van routes, bus routes. We had them all over the place. And my daddy drove one for years, and I was 12 years old, and dad said, get up, you're going with me. Where am I going? You're going on to my van route every time. You need to help me. These are precious souls, and you need to help me. You need to learn. So from 12 to 16, I rode a van with my dad, helping ladies get in the bus, holding umbrellas when it was bad, and handing candy, candy to the kids. And then at 16, he throwed me the keys. And from 16 to 24, I drove a bus. It is the greatest ministry of my life. Boy, I think about it a minute, I just... I'd weep. I seen God take those little kids from the projects and save families. We're having a work day at the church. I didn't stay in the bed. You're going because that's what we do. We serve the Lord. You name it, all of my days, it was my duty to serve the Lord. But then once I began to develop in my relationship and I learned myself to count the benefits of God towards me, that duty become a delight. And that's what he's saying in the text here. I come up being reared in a home, a handmaid of the Lord. My mama taught me. My mama taught me. She was a servant of the living God and it was duty in our house. But now it is delight. I am your servant. I was a slave to my mama's ways. I was a servant in that house. We're going to serve the Lord. But now I, I'm your servant. I like that progression, don't you? I'm your servant. That's his delight. Why? Because God had loosed his bonds, delivered him from death, redeemed his soul. He said, I'm yours. I hope you can say the same. And then finally, he said, I'll... Share in front of others his gratitude. I think that's very important. Verse 17 said, I'll offer unto thee the sacrifice of thanksgiving. I'll call upon the name of the Lord. He says this twice in the text, so it's very important. He said, I will pay my vows unto the Lord now in the presence of all of his people, in the courts of the Lord's house, in the midst of the old Jerusalem. Praise ye the Lord. And so he said, I'm going to share my gratitude in front of others. How's he doing that? He said, I'm going to do it in the courts of the Lord's house where it needs to be done. The psalmist promised to live sacrificial life, that he would give unto the Lord that which he vowed and that which the Lord had commanded, and he was grateful to do so. Can I tell you that God still loves a cheerful giver? He did it with a spirit of thanksgiving. 
Others in the congregation would see him give to God. They would see and hear him pray unto the Lord. And they would hear him praise the Lord in the congregation. And finally, I understand this, and I want you to understand this. Private worship is extremely important. What I give to God is between God and I. Many times, my prayers are none of your business. Many times, your prayers are none of my business. My times of worship sometimes needs to be behind closed doors. I just have to have a moment with the Lord. <laughs> Is anybody else getting excited? That's so important, isn't it? I wouldn't exchange those times for anything that I know. But public worship is most critical. Let me say it again. Public worship is most critical. Why? Because I am convinced and the Bible assures us that the world needs to know that you and I love the Lord. They need to hear our exclamations. They need to hear our declarations. They need to hear our anthems and songs that declares, I love the Lord. They need to see our loyalty in serving the living God. They need to see us giving unto the Lord. They need to hear us praying to the Lord. They need to hear our praise unto the Lord. Why? Because real Christianity is contagious. It's contagious. When you see a glow of God on somebody that just can't help but love him enough, serve him enough, I mean, they're just in love with Jesus. The onlookers sitting back, and they're going through all this trouble and heartache that the world throws at them. You can't live down here and not go through it. And they're sitting back and looking, and they're saying, well, they're walking through it too, but why they got such a glow of heaven? Why in the world are they singing victory in Jesus? Are they walking through hell by the acre? I don't understand it. But all they know is I'd like to have some of that. I don't have anything that's helping me through. I'm trying to find it in this bottle of prescription. I'm trying to find it in a bottle. I'm trying to find it in a relationship. I'm trying to find it in a career. I'm looking all over the world. I'm exhausted. I'm empty. They're going through things, but they've got joy. Man, I hear them praying at the workplace. I see them testifying, declaring the Lord's goodness. And I know what they're going through at their house. Boy, I, I need some of that. I need some of that peace and joy. It's contagious. Would you agree with me? Public worship is critical. It's essential. The world needs to hear us. The world needs to see our love for him. Besides, isn't that what you promised him when you ask him to save you? When you ask him to deliver you, if he has, then there is a true longing in your heart to worship him. Maybe you need to come to the altar and ask God to help you to develop that and refine that and hone that. Why? Because he's worthy. If not, I'd encourage you to come. He'll save you. If you're in a tight spot, you're facing sorrow and trouble, you're facing intimate death, I'd encourage you just to come to the Lord. Why? He is able. You say, well, preacher, you don't know what I'm going through. It doesn't matter. 
Oh, I mean, it, it, your situation matters, but it, it doesn't matter what you put in the blank. I believe the book. He's proved it to me. He told me all throughout the Gospels, nothing is impossible with our God. I have seen him raise the dead. And Rusty missed his shot. Twice, Stephen. I've seen him raise the dead. I've seen him cast out demons. I have seen him heal all manner of sickness and disease. I've seen people come and said, I've got cancer. I have a tumor. We've got CAT scans. Praise God, he's bigger than CAT scans. I've seen doctors say, well, I don't understand. This scan's not like last month's scan. Why? We had a better physician. <laughs> Y'all going to let me have fun in the Lord? So wherever you've been, whatever you're going through, God's able. Nothing, nothing greater than the grace of God. Trust Him tonight. Father, thank You for the privilege and the honor to be in Your house. Oh God, thank You for Your sweet presence. Thank You for Your Word. God, I've been convicted and challenged and charged tonight. Lord, help me. Help me to, Lord, just worship you better. The longing is in my heart. God, let it come out my mouth, my hands, my feet. May my body be surrendered to your service. God, help us to magnify and glorify your name as a grateful people. May our obedience declare our loyalty to you. Lord, no doubt in the crowd this size, we got brothers and sisters that, Lord, they love you. They got a longing to worship you. They just need a little help. Let them crawl up to the altar of God tonight and find help in you. There's someone here that don't know Jesus as Savior. God, I pray. They're worshiping everything but the right thing. Let them come. Open their eyes to the one true God. Save them, Lord, before it's everlasting too late. And whatever the need is tonight, your grace is sufficient. Help us, Lord, and we'll give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.